This is a production of NTEU, Chapter 49, representing most IRS employees in the state of Indiana. I'd like to welcome you to the Chapter 49 podcast. We try to make it a weekly podcast, although I will be the guilty one. Uh, we missed last week because I took some time to visit my daughter and grandson while my son-in-law was away on business. So uh, it was a it was a family reason for being away last week, and so I did miss that week. And we are because of that we have plenty to discuss on this week's podcast because a lot happened last week and a lot has happened this week. We'll do our best to catch up with our usual partner, Chapter Forty Nine President Duncan Giles. Welcome once again, my friend. Thank you, sir. Good to be here with you, Larry. Well, here we go. Uh, we have a lot to discuss. So let me start off with this. I, I want to remem- I recognize this. I've said it before, but I, I don't want people to forget something. Chapter 49 has a very important part to play in the contract negotiations that are going on on the national agreement, the, the big national agreement that sets the stage for all other uh, agreements that are reached between IRS and NTEU. And, excuse me, our chapter president, Duncan Giles, is one of only two chapter presidents that will be present for the entire negotiating uh, bargaining sessions, all of them. Other chapter presidents will come in and out. Duncan and one other uh, chapter president uh, will be the ones that will be there the entire time. This is uh, very important because we will have major impact through Duncan's uh, involvement with what happens in that national agreement. So, uh, Duncan, the first thing I'm going to say, and I'm, I'm going to preview this uh, by just mentioning to everyone that w- uh, the talks are in an early stage and we don't want to be bargaining publicly. So Duncan, as much as he might like to, is not in a position to get involved in details and issues and so forth, specific uh, negotiations that are going on. But I think we can talk about the overall atmosphere, some overall comments. So, Duncan, I'm going to open this up to you. Tell us about your opening sessions of negotiating with the IRS. Thanks, Larry. Yeah, it's, it's been uh, quite interesting. Our first session was last week. We'll have several different weeks interspersed over the next uh, several months. Um, having this hopefully all wrapped up uh, no later than the end of July. Um, based on the first week and the first couple of weeks that we're doing this due to pandemic are Zoom. Um, I've never negotiated via Zoom. Um, I'm glad now that I've had that experience. And after we finish up uh, the other two weeks that we're going to be doing Zoom negotiations, I hope to God I never have to negotiate via Zoom ever again. It's It's... It's tough enough to negotiate these types of agreements in person. Um, When you're doing it via Zoom, it really cuts down on, there's a lot that can go on inside conversations that you have trying to figure out where management is coming from on some of their proposals. You lose a lot of that when you're not in the same room with somebody. So that, um, that can make it, difficult. It, it can be good on one hand if the sides are pretty contentious, um, but we really haven't been. Um, you know, the folks on our side, uh, Jim Bailey, our national vice president, our chairperson, Ken Moffat is our national negotiator, so he's heading up as our spokesperson. We've got Doreen Greenwald, who is the assistant now to Tony uh, Reardon, our national president, but was president of chapter one in Wisconsin for many years. So she's another huge asset to have on the team. And then, uh, as you mentioned, I'm the permanent member, Lori McCann up in Chicago is the other permanent chapter president. And we've got just a group of great chapter presidents in there, uh, that'll be rotating in and out. And they bring, everybody brings such valuable information, but the other side has, you know, negotiators, uh, their chief spokesperson. Um, I've known for many years, he actually, he was at NTEU. And so, you know, that's somebody I go back and forth with and you try and, you know, sometimes negotiations can, especially towards the end can get pretty hairy. 
so you try and lighten the mood where you can and um i was even doing that during the first week of uh of zoom negotiations so it's it's been different um you know was last week productive overall i would say it it, it is um i would say that we're going to have um it's going to be a long um a long struggle to get through all the articles we need to get to and to come to some sort of agreement. And I'm betting that we'll need the help of the mediators and the fact finders that we'll have near the end to try and bridge the gap on some of the articles. You know, Duncan, I think anybody that's gone from having in-person group meetings, for example, or other types of meetings uh, from that to, excuse me, zoom meetings, uh, everybody knows that's a whole different dynamic. You're just dealing with that flat screen in front of you rather than the human beings in a room. And <clears throat> I would think that alone would make uh, negotiating much more complicated. That's what I'm hearing you say. Yeah, it is. And, uh, you know, you, you try and make it human as much as you can. Um, like the main thing that I apparently now like to do, my thing on Zoom meetings for negotiations is I change my name every day. Um, you talk about the name that's it, printed on the, the, the screen, right? Yeah. The name that they have on the screen. Um, and it's quite interesting sometimes when it takes management a little while to pick up on it. Um, you know, like at one point I was Austin powers for one day. Um, another day I was Steve Rogers and I said, Steve Rogers. I said, yeah, I'm like captain America before he became captain America. You can, beat me down, but I can do this all day. Um, (laughs) one point I was, one day I was an ego Montoya. Um, (laughs) because I told the, uh, the lead negotiator, you're giving us bad proposals, prepare to die. Um, princess bride, princess bride reference. If you don't know, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. That's, that's in, you know, and the last day I was Andy Dufresne from Shawshank redemption because, by by Friday on a Zoom negotiating meeting, I was ready to tunnel my way out of there. <laughs> I'll, let me make a wager with you that the management will not emulate that strategy. Okay. Um, let me put it to you this way: Management decided that if their side had any questions, that they would use the hand raise feature on Zoom. Um. Our side said, oh, God, no, we can't do anything like that. So that there, there's a little bit more freewheeling on our side. Well, I've, I have uh, some people I still know that are in journalism, and they, uh, news conferences are now being done that way where you have to raise your hand. And it's really interesting where the PR person is, is in charge of the technology and just for some reason just doesn't want to call on you if they have some clear idea that they don't want your question asked so it's kind of the same concept isn't it yeah it's 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 also interesting the person who was running the meeting for them last week technology wise was hosting the meeting um ended up on the xr list that was released this week so i'm like okay going from running a zoom meeting to going into executive readiness that's an interesting leap well so that's (laughs) <laughs> I have lo- I have lots of comments I could make on that one, Duncan, but I think uh, we have much more important things to talk about. So uh, uh, we try to keep this a little bit light, too, when we can, even though we have serious subjects. And a very serious subject is the COVID vaccination administrative time. NTU's pushed hard. It's out there. We finally have that. We have some open questions we'll talk about in a moment. But we do want to emphasize to people that there is administrative time out there to get your vaccination. Talk about that. Yeah, you can have up to four hours of time if needed um, to get your vaccination for each shot. Um, I had my first vaccination shot uh, just Wednesday and took it right after work. So I didn't need to, but my next one is scheduled um, four weeks from now in an afternoon. So I'll be taking two hours of administrative leave to be able to go to the um, travel to the site where I'm getting it done um, at a Walmart and 
than, uh, you know, having the, getting the shot, having the 15 minutes afterwards, and then being able to travel home, which will all be ending my tour of duty. So yeah, it's absolutely, there is time. And if you get a manager that is saying, no, you don't get time to get a COVID shot, um, have them, con- you know, if it's, if you're from chapter 49, contact me immediately or our chief steward, Gail Groves. If you're listening to this and from another chapter, by all means, contact your chapter president or chief steward, because you absolutely get time uh, to take and get a COVID shot. And it should be noted that you are not required to provide any documentation. You just tell your manager, here's the time my shot is scheduled and here's the time I need, correct? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, because there are some managers who, you know, have such faith in their employees, they're wanting to know to the information to the nth degree, and that's not supposed to be happening. And IRS at a very high level has said that they're going to be ensuring that message goes down to their management chain. And if you hear someone, any manager out there uh, requiring that kind of documentation, if you're in Chapter 49 in Indiana, contact uh, Chapter 49. You or the Chief Steward Gail Groves or wherever you may be listening, get in, in touch with your local chapter. One thing I've noticed, Duncan, um, and I've had my initial shot, my second shot's coming up as well. And I have noticed that there is a wide range of reactions after you have the first and or second shot. Some people are fine, no problem. My mother is 90 years old and had no uh, ill effects after both of her shots, which was amazing. However, I remember the day I got my shot. I just wanted to sleep for the rest of the day and then most of the next day. Uh, so there is a question now about administrative time to recover if needed, from that vaccination? What do we know about that right now? Uh, That is something that we've been pushing the IRS. When I say we, I'm talking national on to you. It's been pushing IRS for. And this is part of the American Rescue Plan Act, which just gave us the, uh, you know, up to $1,400 in the checks. So this is part tucked into that act. And right now, we've been saying to IRS, okay, when are people going to be able to get the time if they do need to recover? Uh, Because like you, I've heard it it ranges wildly. Um, You know, I didn't have any ill effects from my first shot, aside from the fact I sat uh, between the pharmacy and a bathroom in a Walmart for 15 minutes watching humanity walk by. Um, That's... You know, I was, I consider myself lucky, but when I go back for my second shot, I could, you know, have some serious side effects because of that. So we need to know when they're going to be getting more time. Well, the answer we get from IRS is, and I know this will shock everybody listening, they are waiting for guidance from Treasury and OPM. So uh, IRS says, oh, we'd love to do it. We just don't have the authority. And we've heard this before. Without absolute authority, IRS does not go out on a limb, right? Exactly. I I like to say that when they're waiting for this, you know, when they say that we're waiting for guidance and we've asked them for guidance, I always envision that there are some trained sloths that um, act as couriers between 1111 and the Treasury headquarters and OPM. And that's how we're transmitting messages on waiting for guidance. And there's like a few blocks between each of them. So just if anybody who's been to Washington (laughs) would know that. For whatever reason, it takes forever. And this is the same organization who couldn't give us guidance when it came to the Social Security withholding and how it was or not withholding and how it was going to be repaid back. The extra time that you could have taken and leave uh, rolled over for uh, 2021. You know, so it, the guidance just comes out painfully slow. And until there is guidance, like you said, IRS is not going to go out on a limb and, and grant anything. I think one thing that's created a lot of questions for you, and, and deservingly so, it's received a lot of publicity that that uh, American Rescue Plan, also known as the $1.9 trillion uh, plan to help uh, the whole economy uh, with uh, dealing with, with the pandemic, 
There is 15, up to 15 weeks of leave schedule that could be scheduled there. That is in that law, and you've been getting a lot of questions about that. So please uh, just lay out what you know at this time of what you expect may happen in the future and how we how Chapter 49 will communicate any news we get on this. Yeah, and to answer your last part first, as soon as we get any definitive information on this, on how it's going to be rolled out, how it's going to be done, we will get that out via our Facebook page, NTU Chapter 49 Indiana, via email. I'll be sending out emails on it, um, you know, tying it to the flagpole. However we need to get information out, we will do so as soon as we have it. The problem, again, is that, you know, it's it's waiting on that guidance from OPM and Treasury. We get, you know, people asking, I get a lot of questions on this. And this is the 15 weeks of emergency paid leave. Uh, you know, somebody who has to quarantine because of COVID, somebody who is caring for a child, if the child care is unavailable due to COVID, or uh, school where they've been closed or they're doing a hybrid situation that type of thing that there is um you know that 15 weeks is available now irs has stated that they believe that 90 percent of what's in the um that 1.9 trillion bill that passed is already being taken care of i don't know how the irs is figuring that 90 percent but to me that not, does not add up well, because me, like I said, yeah, exactly. you're not getting the recovery time for the COVID shots. You're not getting the time for the emergency paid leave. Um, that's up to that 15 weeks. So there are a lot of questions that we have, how this is going to be implemented, when this is going to be implemented. And right now, national IRS is telling national NTU, we're just waiting for guidance. Yeah, and I think it's understandable. You've uh, you've clearly had uh, clearly have now by statute, by law, a benefit available to you which you cannot exercise because uh, we don't have the guidance to uh, to implement it. And it's got to be frustrating. There are lots of people working for IRS in Indiana and and elsewhere around the country who are dealing with these personal situations and. Uh, I think everyone needs to know IR, IRS is, is not really uh, being that. They say 90 percent. As you said, we don't know where that's coming from, that they've already implemented 90 percent, because even if it is 10 percent, it's a pretty, cool, pretty critical 10 percent to a lot of these people who are being impacted by it. So let it be known that NTEU was working very hard, pushing very hard to get these answers and uh, some have asked, will there be a retroactive uh, implementation? We don't know because we don't have the guidance yet. That's the problem. Uh, yeah, that's exactly it. We want to know if it's going to be retroactively, whether the administrative uh, time that's been granted will count towards, uh, you know, the law's cap of the leave, how it's going to, you know, there's a question also how it's going to uh, impact service credit for retirement purposes. There are several different questions revolving around this that because they haven't received guidance irs just doesn't have answers and is not willing to go out on a limb and you know just do it by themselves you know when you talked about watching humanity go by as you waited for your shot at walmart i you know what came to mind was that uh, that facebook feed on the people of walmart and i'll just leave it at that <laughs> uh let me put it this way i when when i was you know, first eligible, I jumped on the chance to try and find it. And Walmart was my best bet. There has been a Walmart that was closer to me that had been involved in some videos of fights in like the shampoo aisle and things of that nature. I chose not to go to that particular Walmart. But, it, uh, you know, I said, oh, it's, I'll go to a smaller one. It'll be better. Well, let's just say uh, that still uh, a lot of people that don't know how to wear their masks and apparently also don't know how to drive shopping carts. Now, we're not picking on Walmart. This could happen anywhere. But uh, exactly. I just had to point out that that people of Walmart feed is up there. I don't actually I don't subscribe to it, but I have friends of mine who share it now and then. And that's uh, that's all I know. And we're not picking on Walmart. Walmart's like a lot of other places and things happen everywhere. So we don't want to. 
We don't want people to think that we're singling them out. That just happened to be where you were able to get your shot. And we'll give them kudos for that, right? And the the folks that were working there in the pharmacy were absolutely fantastic. There weren't enough of them. I I know this is going to shock everybody listening to the podcast. They were busting their butt to do the best they could. But because there weren't enough of them, they were falling behind. I know nobody here can identify with that. And that brings us to our next issue. Because this America American Rescue Plan that we've already discussed has a lot of tax law changes, which will impact people working in in the toll-free system to the extent that it affects what, what's in their scope. It will impact uh, certainly people in other parts of the service who need the tax law and guidance to do their jobs. But Commissioner Reddig was before the Congress. I believe it was just yesterday. Uh, of course, we know that the uh, tax deadline has been extended from April 15th to May 17th, which is uh, some good news. But there's a provision, and there are many provisions that deal with taxes in the American Rescue Plan. But one particular provision is now is something very new, where certain families with certain children, with certain qualifications and certain ages, will begin to receive monthly payments. And that's a new thing. And IRS has been charged with doing this, and I believe the law requires this to begin sometime this summer. July comes to mind, but that may not be precise. But it's during the summer that these payments would begin, kind of an advance credit payment, if you will. Um, And Commissioner Reddick just was very honest. IRS is not absolutely sure we can do this with the staff that we have. And anybody working at IRS knows that the service has had, uh, how should I put it, a challenge with staffing since the mid-1990s. And we had a little bump in, uh, in, in, in hiring in the late 90s when, the, uh, when we reorganized, but it kind of went back, uh, slid back after that, really hasn't recovered. So I just want your, your, your thoughts or, or your take on this whole idea that IRS gets all this new work, and of course we had some new funding, but probably not enough to cover all this. Yeah, it's it's going to be um, it's going to be quite the challenge. It really is. The you know the funding is great, and I'm glad that Congress realized that and does increase our funding, and I hope they continue to do so. But it's not like you can give us funding one day and okay, the next day we're ready to snap out because we've got more employees. It takes quite a while to train employees to even do things like, you know, something that we've not been asked to do before, like send out these checks every month. Um, even, even getting the, you know, the filing extended, the filing date extended, you and I were discussing this because we were seeing it on various news sources well before it came out from the IRS to its own employees. They didn't even tell us. And there still has not been any employee-wide email going out to say this. It's been like a a sentence on um, IRS source that basically takes you to a press release. But there hasn't been anything yet that says, you know, we're going to be extending it, which we have and which all employees are now also covered under that that they do not have to file and pay until May 17th. So that's just indicative of the Mm -hmm. fact that we just have so few bodies to do things anymore that we're not able to do things as timely as we'd like and as quickly as we'd like. And I share the commissioner's fear and national NTU president Reardon's fear that this is going to be a tough thing for us to do. We are, we have wonderful employees and they all bust their asses, but there's only so much we can do during a day in a work day. And they keep putting more and more onto us and more and more complex things. And it's just going to be very tough for us to carry these out. Well, you know, I don't uh, defend the IRS management often, but in this case, I believe it was, a, they do have to, a responsibility to brief Congress and some staff member for uh, either a committee or a member of Congress leaked that to the New York Times and some other news outlets. That's how it got out early. I don't think you can blame the IRS for that. 
And I think they intended to have the commissioner announce this at uh, at his testimony before Congress, which was the day before we record this. We're recording this on March 19th. So I think that kind of blew up that whole plan, too. Uh, so, But that's still no excuse to not clearly get that out to employees. They had time to do that. So I, let me move on to something else here because there's something very key for employees because there are some there's what's called a career ladder promotion. It's a promotion you get uh, because uh, you have uh, you're on your career ladder. You you are entitled to more pay as a result of that career ladder movement and as a result of that uh, you automatically are supposed to get this pay increase. However, there is one little cog in the system. Your manager has to input this in what's called a PAR action in the internal systems that are involved. Having been a manager, I did many PAR actions, worked very hard to get them in in time. But uh, we have apparently had a spate of late PAR actions, meaning people have to wait to get uh, their career ladder promotion money. So what do we know about this, Duncan? Yeah, this is something, again, that National NTU has been raising with the IRS. And as a matter of fact, our, uh, our national, uh, or our chief steward here in Chapter 49, um, Gail Groves, is an administrative, a management and program assistant. And she's very well aware that what happens is, is once these par actions are put in late, if a manager doesn't do it timely, then the um, the par action goes to the bottom of the pile, and they take care of it when they've taken care of the ones that are timely. And it seems to really crop up in places where they've had a lot of acting managers that the par actions have not done timely, and that's basically every division of the service. And so once once these aren't timely, it it takes a while now. Do people get their back pay? Absolutely. The additional back pay that they're owed for their either grade or step increase? Yes, they do. But because it's, um, you know, once it's submitted to payroll, it takes two to four pay periods for that to show up. So as you well know, you try and do it timely so it everything works out smoothly. But because of the fact that the folks that do these par actions that work these par actions once they're submitted are also behind and they can't play catch up if, if the manager doesn't submit them timely because they're low staffed as well then it, it just creates a snowball effect that that costs um, employees money that they should have um, you know now rather than you know one or two months later yeah so irs yeah. is um saying that you know they're they're trying to get overtime they're trying to uh continually remind managers to do the par actions timely um you know we national ntu has suggested that the irs communicate with the employees when it's the par action submitted late so that the, the employee knows and it'll be delayed you know transparency information that sort of thing IRS is considering that. <laughs> oh, really? It's it's like, okay, don't don't let the employees know what exactly is going on. All they know is their, you know, that they either their grade or their step increase hasn't happened. So God forbid we should have transparency. Well, yeah, as as a former manager, I must say that uh, you know, my organization made it clear that that was a it was a top expectation to get that done. And, I can't remember a time when I was late. If I did, it was because of circumstances beyond my control. But I think one thing needs to be pointed out here, Duncan, that that two to four weeks for the par action to take hold, that's if it's in timely. As you mentioned, if you don't get it in timely because you go to the back of the line, it could be longer than that. It could be that one to two months, which, you know, you miss out on a pay increase that long, that can hurt. Absolutely. When you're sitting there going, okay, I'm counting on this money being here at this time because I know it's been, you know, the, the 
you know, one year, two year, three years that I'm due to get this, this bump in pay. And when it doesn't happen, it's not a good thing. Let's move on to, uh, so you have, you have some examples of messages that are being sent to employees, uh, particularly in Indiana, but it might be elsewhere too, dealing with some specific issues. You did share with me a message that was sent out uh, to the uh, employees of the call center in Indianapolis about quality statistics. Tell me about that. Yeah. I, you know, I'm all for management letting know what employees are going on, you know, what's happening overall. And, you know, it's almost like a goal to shoot for. And as long as that's not used as a rotor where, you know, employees are being written up for overall statistics, things of that nature, I'm fine with sharing that information. But sometimes the way the messages are written, um, it, it, you know, trying to work their way into you know, starting off a message one way and then totally doing a 180 and talking about, in this instance, quality is just uh, doesn't seem really sincere to me. It, it seems almost like a, um, you know, a bashing almost. Hey, you know, we're doing great, but we can do better. Hey, you know what? The beatings will continue until morale improves. You, we've got to get away from that type of mindset. And I, I just, it's, it's always something to me that I'm always about. And I, I talk to management officials from frontline to the commissioner about positive reinforcement and constructive criticism and do things that are going to make employees feel good and want to be here and want to do better instead of, hey, you're doing great, but why aren't you doing better? Wait, what? That's a little bit of a mixed message. And those are the types of things that just truly irritate me. Well, and I, I think sincerity, when you send out, for example, you send out a, uh, an email message, and that's all you do. If you're not engaging with your employees on other levels, I think it's difficult for the employees t- to, to take that as a sincere message. That's just a general comment. And uh, having worked in quality review for a couple of years while I was in toll-free, I've, I've looked at those statistics a lot. And based on what I've seen, I think the people in India are performing rather well. I think if there's any issue is that the goal setting uh, is it may not be realistic, but that's just my view. I don't know about yours. Uh, I will second that motion. Okay. Um, <laughs> okay. I, I do feel that the employees, um, and I, you know, in India and overall across the IRS, and again, this gets to, where we have unrealistic goals, whether it's a quality goal, whether it's a number of calls taken, whether it's a number of cases touched, whether it's a number of cases closed across all divisions. What really, really, really irritates me, and I can't tell you the number of times I've had this discussion with executives across the IRS in every single freaking division is Okay, well, you know, this is what's happened, and this is why you're not going to make your numbers. And, you know, whipping the horse to the finish line isn't going to help you increase and get you across that goal any faster. You know, we're in the middle of a pandemic. We're not going to have the number of cases closed that, you know, your original program said that you would get done. I'm sorry, that's not happening. We're not going to have the number of phone calls taken. We're not going to have these things because we're in the middle of a pandemic. Sometimes it's the fact that we have a hell of a lot less employees than we did when you, at the start of the year, when you had these goals. So that's why we're not going to make it. So there's a lot of different things that weigh on these. And when they don't adjust for conditions, it just drives me up an absolute wall. Yeah. And and people are dealing with a lot of stress working at home. Some like that and, and are thriving in it. Others are having difficulty with the work-at-home environment and some of the technological challenges with working at home. I mean, there have been a lot of stresses on the employees. So uh, to me, uh, that's amazing that the quality stats are where they are, but that's just my view. Now let's move to compliance. Um, It wasn't that long ago, Duncan, really, that the IRS and other government agencies were offering incentives for people to retire. So lo and behold, 
all of a sudden there's a message coming out from collection to the field revenue officers wanting to know, gee, what would it take for you to stay and not retire? Tell me what's going on here. Yeah, this will be rolling out to um, to ROs uh, within the next month or so. And basically, <laughs> it's almost like collection said, holy cow, we've got a whole lot less employees than we used to. I wonder why that is. Uh, well, we've all told you why that is. Um, then we, we've got to keep what employees we have. And so they're going to be sending out things asking about, you know, how can they get people to stay? You know, what could, changes could they make to try and keep them there longer? And these are going out to folks who are going to either be uh, very close to or retirement eligible. And, you know, it, it's just astounding to me that somebody has looked around and seen that something that's been going on for a long, long time, many, many years, and now it's reached a breaking point, and now they're panicking. Well, guess what? Now we're rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic because you've already hit that iceberg and you've decided to ignore it. Yeah, and I think at this point, the service has kind of backed themselves into a quarter because so many people now in the collection division, uh, in the RO uh, realm, uh, are now reaching that retirement eligibility and if you'd planned ahead of time, maybe things could have been done. But at the last minute, what if, I mean, there's a limited number of legal authorities that I think the service could use to en- entice people to stay. So I think this was, a, uh, I hate to say it, but it was, and we've said it before, it's its a making of the management's own lack of, of keeping an eye on this this whole ball. Do you think that's the case? Yeah, and in collection in particular, um, I can only speak for Indiana, but I, um, you know, I know it's been going on nationwide and it's not the frontline managers that have, you know, that have been the issues. It's, it's been above the frontline managers where the lack of respect, the nitpicking, things of that nature that have gone on, um, not realizing what a crushing inventory that employees have. It, it it just boggles my mind that they now wonder what they can do to keep people here. I don't know. Treat them sanely. I, you know, this isn't <laughs> rocket science. Yeah. And, uh, well, there are things that could be done, but whether it could be done, uh, turning the Titanic around to avoid the iceberg wasn't easy either, was it? Uh, let's talk about something else. We do have some hires in exam. It's always good news when the IRS is hiring. Uh, with revenue agents and others who work in the examination division part of compliance. But I've been hearing stories about the new hires getting unbelievable caseloads for new employees. And lo and behold, uh, not surprised but sad about uh, what answers that people have been given when they push back on this. So talk about this workload issue with new hires and, and who's being blamed for that. Yeah, this is one of those things where we've been made aware and I've made national NTU aware of, at least in the central area, but I'm guessing it's probably nationwide, that some of these folks in exam that are coming in are being given, you know, like after their phase one, they're being given 25 cases. And then after phase two, they're given an additional 20 cases. Well, there's nothing like trying to bury somebody that's new. Um, and these are not training cases from what I'm hearing. These are, these are pretty tough cases. And you're just getting these people something that, you know, they're going to be wanting to go out, try and do their best, realize that they can't keep up, and they're going to want to get the heck out of there. So even though we're hiring, I don't see them staying long term if we continue to do that. And again, this is above, actually, this is above front and second line management. This is higher. That's why I suspect it's a nationwide thing. I understand. And it goes back to wanting to make our program numbers. I understand you want to make your program numbers. I understand you have less people to do it, but dumping an unreal number of cases on new hires is not the way to do it. And then to top it off, as you alluded to, to say, well, this is something that NTU is making us do because they said that there has to be 
equality in the number of cases that you know revenue agents are given. I I literally doubled over in laughter when I heard that. That's just insane. We've never locally, nationally, have never said anything like that, especially with folks that are new coming on. It's just the old, you know, that's the old thing to do. It's like, oh, we're going to blame NTU. Well, you know, we're going to push back and say, you people are just insane because this is on you. Well, this goes back to something I told you. I started with the service in 1983. I heard management officials saying that when I first started. It's just never ended. And here's my advice to people, and I'm sure you'll want to tail in on this. Anytime something negative happens and the management says, well, NTU is requiring us to do that, do something very simple. Ask NTEU. Get a hold of Duncan Giles. Or if you're listening somewhere else in the country, get a hold of your, get a hold of your local chapter. Once you investigate, you'll find out that wasn't the case at all, in almost every case. And even if we had some involvement, the management has distorted it in some way uh, to make it uh, appear something that it's not. And then making it as clear again, Duncan's made it clear that NTU in no way, shape, or form is forcing new hires to have a higher caseload. No way. So let's just set that straight, okay? I just, yeah, it just, again, boggles my mind. And it, it all comes down to what rolls downhill. And you just can't do that. And I appreciate managers at whatever level they are that push back against insanity, whatever division you're in, because that's the right thing to do to say, you know, this isn't right. Because you know, you, that's not a popular thing as, uh-huh. as a former manager yourself. You yes. know, that's not a popular thing when you tell people above you that the emperor has no clothes and this is not the right way to do things. Oh, tell me about but it. Yeah, <laughs> I, do, I do know managers that do that. And those are the ones that I truly appreciate when they are trying to protect their people, even if they're not being heard. We mentioned retirement a couple of times, and uh, I've noticed something that happened just the other day before we recorded this here on March 19th, that uh, members of Congress are starting to ask questions about the backlog on processing federal employee retirements. Now, I retired in September of 2011, and we thought there was a backlog then. Boy, I tell you, it's nothing like what it is today, and no, no question pandemic has had something to do with this. Uh, but again, uh, you know, this is one of those things where Congress is probably going to have to push to get any changes. And I think this, again, goes back to what's going on in many parts of government, just a lack of staffing. So, And have you been getting any feedback on this yourself from recent retirees? Yeah, I have. And it's taking forever and they're not getting a lot of information. And it's exactly what you just said. It's a lack of staffing. Because we are still so paper heavy, um, you know, it's one thing for IRS to get their information together. We're not doing too badly at that post pandemic, you know, post everybody being shut down. Uh, Our folks in our retirement areas are pretty much getting back up to speed. The bottleneck is appearing at OPM because there's a lot less people to be able to process all this because it's a, it's so paper intensive instead of electronic. And that causes so, so, so many issues. And, you know, I had advised people that, you know, this time a year ago or, you know, nine months ago that were thinking about retiring. I said, you may want to put this off unless you've got an awful lot of money set aside because it's going to take them a while to uh, process it. And unfortunately, it's not gotten much better just because of the fact, like I said, that there's such a bottleneck at OPM because they're dealing with so many different agencies that pour that, you know, all of, you know, it's, it's like a spigot. It, it can only, you know, go so, so wide. And right now we're needing a fire hydrant solution and we've got a garden hose. Because yeah, and, it's just, it's, there are yeah. just so few people to process it. So NTU is aware of this. We're doing what we can, but this is a government-wide problem. And uh, Yeah, you know, so and OPM we'll, is trying to do what they can. But again, 
when you don't have a, much of a budget and now you're starting to hire back up. But again, it takes time to train these people. We've gone way over our normal 30 minutes because we have so many issues. And I want to end with this one. I just saw a recent television piece which featured a number of uh, well-known psychologists and people who are, are, are expert in this area of, of how events of the past have impacted us. Go all the way back to Vietnam War, uh, go back to Watergate, uh, go back to uh, the uh, uh, 9-11, go back to the economic crash of 2008-9. All of those events changed us and moving forward made us a little bit different in the way we all look at the world, our workplace, just everything. And a lot of psychologists are looking at how the pandemic is going to impact all of us as we move forward. How is that going to change us? And I keep seeing in the business sections of newspapers and other news outlets all about what's going to happen once we're vaccinated and, and, and we don't any longer have to worry about gathering. What's going to happen to office space? And I know you have to be a little careful on this because this is a subject of negotiations and we don't want to negotiate in, in public or talk in terms of that. But I do want to ask you just in that general sense, uh, I know there are a lot of people working at home for IRS who love it and are probably going to get in the, in the future more of a chance to work at home if things work out the way we think they will, just based on the experience of having people work at home at the IRS. But then again, there's another group of people who cannot wait to get back to the office. That's where they work best. And I wonder about how IRS may be just psychologically, the workplace atmosphere, the whole atmosphere of working in general will be impacted once the pandemic settles. Now, we think it'll be later in this year if we don't have a resurgence of some kind. Uh, I'm just curious your thoughts. You and I worked, I mean, I, I worked for the service for 28 years before retiring. You've worked uh, for the IRS almost that long. Uh, I'm curious, just from what you have seen and experienced, and you talk to an awful lot of people in the work you do in, in management with the union, people who are union officials and other parts of the country, uh, what are your general feelings about how this pandemic will change IRS the workplace as we move forward? I truly think it's going to be fascinating exercise to see how it will, um, because you captured it very, very well. There's a lot of people that say, hey, look, I'm great working from home. I can do my work from home. It's not a problem. It's not an issue. And there are others who are like, oh, dear God, let me come into the office. It's, it's not working for me here at home. And then you've got, you know, IRS is always looking, the federal government's always looking, where can they cut costs? Well, we can do it in space. Um, you know, so, it, you know, you've got that part of it. And then you've got others that want to micromanage. You know, this was one of the things pre-pandemic, they didn't want to have folks um, from the, the service centers to a lesser degree but the phone sites, the remote sites to much larger to be able to work from home because they, it was, you know, they couldn't do it. There was no technology. They didn't have the equipment. Well, lo and behold, pandemic hits, we're able to do it. Now, my thought is it's going to be awful tough to put that genie back in the bottle. If you want these people to come back five days a week when you've shown and they've shown that the vast majority of them can do that work remotely. And I would think, just again, this is not anything to do with negotiations. This was my thought, you know, once the pandemic struck was, you know, we should be able to hire more people because we don't have to house. Everybody doesn't have to be there. So it would, you know, not really increase our rent and only increase our personnel costs, which would be a great savings. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. Um, later this year across the whole federal government and, and private businesses as well. You know, uh, working in downtown Indianapolis, I can tell you that it is very, very, very much changed from a year ago. Um, and will that ever be the same? I don't know. 
Yeah, that's the question it's, that everybody's... It's going to be something that we're going to have to wait and see mm-hmm. how the federal government, the IRS, different businesses adjust to this post-pandemic. Yeah, one thing that people need to keep in mind, if you look at the IRS budget, the number one line item cost is personnel, the cost of personnel. But if you look at number two, you go way down after you go to number two. If you go to number two, that's rent. Okay, so what you're saying is, okay, IRS, if you're going to reduce your space and rent, why can't you hire more people? That may be the discussion of the future. I mean, that uh, that, that may be something that uh, the service has to uh, has to deal with. And uh, obviously the details have to be worked out. And part of that will be subject to negotiation, which we'll know once all bargaining ends. So uh, I just wanted to bring that up because I just look at this as a, as a, as a big change to the future. For those of, uh, of your members and the members of NTU who are younger, who are starting their careers more early in their career, uh, what kind of workplace you'll have socially and otherwise, and that is a big part of working. What's it going to be like? It's going to be different. I don't know how it's going to be different, good, different, bad, different, or maybe in the middle, but uh, I, I think it's it's something that I hope that the service considers, and I know NTU will be pushing them to consider. With that in mind... And I think it's go going ahead. to be a, I think it's going to be a government-wide issue. I think that we're going to be waiting for some signals from the administration on how they feel about it as well. Excellent point. And and I do think that's true. And remember, there'll be people in Congress on key committees who will also have some some say in this. Duncan, this is a record-setting podcast. We spent more time today than we have ever, but we felt it was, uh, it was uh, warranted because of everything that's going on. So do you have a final message uh, before we wrap this up? Yeah, it was. Yeah, we have a long podcast, but it was all good issues that we covered. Uh, I just want everybody stay safe. Don't let your guard down. This pandemic is still out there. You know, you can still transmit this even after you've had both vaccinations. So please continue wearing the mask, social distance. If you're not around people that have had their vaccinations or are in any sort of high risk group, get together with people where you can, where it's safe. But otherwise, please be mindful of that. You know, just let's 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 do the right thing as we always should. And and let's listen to the experts, the Dr. Fauci's, the the others who are telling us that as yes, once you have uh you're fully vaccinated, one or two doses, depending on which one you get, and then you have that two week period afterwards, yes, you will be less likely to almost really, based on what we know, almost uh, certain that you're not going to get sick to the point where you'll need to go to the hospital or or risk death, you could still transmit it to somebody else. So keep the masks on. That's what the professionals are telling us. Excuse me. (coughs) Duncan Giles is the man you uh, heard, uh, the other voice you heard on this podcast. He's the Chapter 49 president. And uh, hopefully we will be back next week with another edition of the Chapter 49 podcast. If you've listened and you like this podcast, uh, let people know. It's available on just about any platform where you find podcasts. Just, uh, excuse me, I'm having problems with my voice today. Uh, All you have to do is just uh, go to one of the platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, number of others. And just uh, uh, all you have to do is put in podcasts by Larry Lannon, L-A-N-N-A-N. Excuse me. Sorry. <coughs> and you'll uh, see all the podcasts I do. I have a number of podcast series, but look for the Chapter 49 podcast. So thank you for listening, and please be safe and be kind.